This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports gambling talk, as well as discussion and analysis on the biggest news in the world of college sports. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and you better believe I'm back and excited for week two of the college football season. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Gorg on sports. I'd love to hear from you. I want you to be a big part of the show. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you want to hear about. Tell me what I got right. And more than likely, if you do reach out, you're probably going to tell me what I got wrong, but I'd love to hear that too. So hit me up on social media at Gorg on sports. I want you to be part of the show. I also have some big news today before we dive into things. I'm proud to share that this show, Tailgate Till May, is now officially part of the Believe Podcast Network. So if you're a longtime listener, thank you for your support in helping make this happen. I also want to assure you that there is this is nothing but good for the show. I'm going to be providing the same great content and covering the same topics I always have, college sports and college sports gambling. And Believe is a huge network of shows. They cover college sports. They're shows that cover college sports, the NFL, NBA, baseball, the NHL, soccer, much more. So this is nothing but a good thing. I'm really excited and happy to be part of the Believe Podcast Network. Go check out some of their shows. They have great shows out there. At, you, you can find all the shows at Believe.com slash shows. Uh, you can find whatever you are looking for there. So I am very excited to share that news with you and uh, excited to be part of the Believe Podcast Network. So let's dive right in now to week two of the college football season because boy, oh boy, is it gonna be a big one. Not that I felt like week one was really lacking with the way it turned out. We got the huge Duke over Clemson upset. We had a great game in Florida State LSU, a top 10 matchup there. And then we had a bunch of G5 over P5 upsets on Saturday. I thought it actually turned out to be a really good week. Of course, you had Colorado coming out and just putting it on TCU. They were going up and down the field. Dion, a great start to his tenure at Colorado. I thought it was a really good week, but week two has so many great matchups. We have tons of power five versus power five matchups, and they're at on campus sites too. We get Texas going to Alabama. That's the big one. And that one's actually in Tuscaloosa. We're not playing it in Atlanta. We're not playing it in Dallas. We're not playing it in New Orleans. No, this is on campus in Tuscaloosa. That's what I love. And I know that's what you all love too. That's the big one of the day. But there's so many more. There's Notre Dame going to Raleigh to take on NC State. Utah at Baylor. Baylor looking to bounce back after getting really smoked by Texas State in week one. Oregon goes to Texas Tech for a unique matchup there. Purdue goes to Blacksburg. There's so many great Power 5 versus Power 5 matchups. We're going to get to all of them, and I'd be remiss. How could I not mention Texas A&M going to Miami? Two programs, they feel very similar. They feel like they're constantly trying to get somewhere, and they're not quite getting there, but Maybe things are different for each of them this year. They feel a little different after week one. They certainly do. And we're going to find out 
how different they are when those two teams square off. That's another big one. We are going to get to all of that. Of course, we're going to do we're going to do our spray the board segment. I'm going to tell you what I'm watching and what I'm betting on this Saturday of college football. And I do like that it's all contained to Saturday now. Well, you know, you got a few Thursday, Friday things, but for the main slate is Saturday. I, I like that better. We have that one compact day of college football. Pack it all in. That's what I like. So we will get to all that. But I want to start the show today by talking a little bit about what we saw in week one and not recapping week one, but this main theme that I was thinking about and how it relates to week two. My favorite thing in sports is a team trying to get over the hump. A team trying to find that next level a team that's trying to take down the king of the hill. And then you have that other team, that king of the hill, that's trying to maintain its place. It's the perpetual struggle for one team to stay at the top of the mountaintop and another to climb that hill, beat all competitors up there, and then finally take down the champion. And I felt like we saw that a little bit last weekend, you know, with Florida State and LSU, that wasn't necessarily a contender versus champion matchup. It felt like two contenders who were trying to climb that hill together, but only one can do it. And Florida State knocked LSU down. I love that about sports. It's one of my favorite storylines in all of sports. It never gets old for me. And we have that this weekend more so than ever, with Alabama and Texas. Texas is that quintessential team who is trying to make more of themselves. They're trying to rise. They are trying to become what Alabama has had is has been for so many years. They are trying to build a dynasty. They are trying to be seen as a perpetual national championship contender. And they got to prove it. And they can do it on the field. They can go to Tuscaloosa, take down Alabama, and finally we can say, truly this time, Texas is back. That's what they're trying to do. And for Alabama's part, they've been at the top of the mountain. They've been on that mountaintop. But Georgia's knocked them down a, a bit of a perch. Georgia's knocked them down a peg. They're not quite on that top perch anymore. I think it's... It's fair to say Georgia is on that top perch by themselves and Alabama's just a step below because they've won back-to-back national championships and they're going for three in a row. They're trying to accomplish something that Nick Saban hasn't done. But they're still one and two right there. They are still the top two. So Alabama has a little bit of of a chip on its shoulder there trying to get back to the very top itself, but they also got to fend off everybody else coming at them. They got to fend off LSU. They got to fend off the Texases of the world. They got to fend off all those Pac-12 contenders, USC and what Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams are doing there. Oregon and Bo Nix, their old friend Bo Nix. Washington with Michael Penix and Kalen DeBoer and that offense that seems like it's going to just put up touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Alabama has to fend off all those comers because before those teams can get to Georgia, they got to get by Alabama. And this is their first test here of the season. And I love it. 
I love that about sports and I love that about college football that we get these matchups where you get to see, does this team really have it or not? Are they really next? Can they pull this off? And can this other team, in this case, Alabama, can they fend them off? How much longer do they have at the top of the mountain? And I'm just so excited for this game. So let's get into our showcase game of the week. Texas and Alabama. This game is going to be in prime time on Saturday night. That place, Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, is going to be rocking. You can see it 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. It's not quite a top 10 matchup, but it feels like a top 10 matchup. Number three, Alabama, and number 11, Texas. And I'm going to come out right off the bat and I'm tell you how tell you how I'm betting this game because you already know because you already listened to my week one recap where I give out a few early bets that I've already put in on Sunday afternoon Sunday night the bet that I shared last week already or earlier this week I guess on Sunday is Alabama minus six and a half I am taking the tide minus six and a half I got that on FanDuel I got it on Sunday it's not there anymore but there are still plenty of sevens left and I would take seven I would. Still bet this Alabama minus seven. The other bet that I'm putting in on this game that I didn't share yet is under 54 and a half. I'm playing the under in this game and you can find that number just about anywhere. I see it at FanDuel right now, BetMGM, Caesars, DraftKings, BetRivers. You can, you can get that under 54 and a half a lot of places. I'm playing those two bets in this game and I feel really, really good about them. And let me tell you why. Texas's defense looked fantastic against Rice. Really good against Rice. And take all of this with a grain of salt because it's Rice. And same for Alabama when we talk about their week one game because it was Middle Tennessee State. But Texas had the best havoc rate in the country in non-garbage time situations. While the game was still in question, their defense had the best havoc rate in the country at 37.5%. So that means on nearly 40% of the snaps the Texas defense played, they either forced a fumble, had a tackle for a loss, broke up a pass, or intercepted a pass. On 40% of the snaps, not quite 40%, 37.5% of the snaps while the game was still in question. They had five tackles for loss, two sacks. They had two interceptions and they forced a fumble. And it wasn't just one guy. It was everybody. It was everybody on that defense. There were eight guys on that defense credited with at least one, with at least a half a tackle for loss. Pro Football Focus has them right now number two in defense number two in Rundy, and number 10 in pass rush. The defense was really, really good for Texas, and that's part of what makes me really like the under in this game is how well Texas's defense performed in week one. Now, for Alabama's part, when it comes to the defense, their defense was solid too. You forget at sometimes with Alabama how much talent is on this that defense 
and how good they still were last season because they gave up a few big point performances last year and they aren't quite the same Alabama defense that we think of in, say, 2012 because the game has changed a little bit. But if you look at some of the metrics from last year, now Alabama still ended the season last year as the 11th best defense in Bill Connolly's SP plus rankings, one of my favorite at college football advanced analytics out there. Still a pretty good defense. And you look at the talent they have on that roster. I was looking at Dane Brugler's 2024 NFL draft board earlier today. And you look at the Alabama guys there. At number seven, Kool-Aid McKinstry in the secondary as a cornerback. Number seven. Number nine, Dallas Turner on the edge. That's two guys on that defense on the, in the top 10 right there. And Alabama's defense looked really good too. They had three sacks. They, forced seven, they had seven tackles for a loss. And they held Middle Tennessee State to just three yards per carry. Good performance by the Alabama defense, holding MTSU to just seven points in a 56 to seven win. So I think both defenses are playing really well. That's a big part of why I like the under. The other part of why I really like the under here, and also why I really like Alabama in this game, I'm concerned about Texas's de- offense, guys. The defense was great, the offense was not in week one. And if you listen to the Big 12 preview, you know that that I have been skeptical of Texas, this Texas offense, and Quinn Ewers for a while. I bet Texas under nine and a half wins. I talked a lot in our Big 12 preview episode about why there's this assumption that Quinn Ewers is automatically going to come out and be a Heisman contender because he struggled at times last year. And in this opening game, I didn't see a lot to make me feel better. They had issues on the offensive line. Rice sacked them three times and had eight tackles for loss. Texas's Texas's offensive havoc rate, essentially the amount of times that the defense causes havoc, it was the same as South Carolina's, who gave up nine sacks to North Carolina in that game. South Carolina's offensive line just got obliterated. And the advanced analytics say that Texas, Texas's front seven, Texas's offense performed very similar to South Carolina's. The front seven havoc rate for Texas was 17%, which means that on just under one out of every five plays while the game was still in question, the Rice defense either forced a fumble or made a tackle for a loss. That is not very good. And then they were just kind of mediocre running the football in this game. They had a 47% success rate running the ball, which is kind of just in the middle, middle of the pack nationally. And last year, running the ball was so important for them. They had Bijan Robinson who now looks like he's going to be a star with the Falcons. They had Roshan Johnson. That's a great one-two punch, and I'm still concerned about Texas not having those guys because they were such big threats. 
I said it on the Big 12 preview show, and I'll say it again. But for Bijan, for a guy who is as ta- to lose a guy who's as talented as Bijan Robinson, for you to lose a top ten NFL draft pick at running back, it's really hard because running backs don't get drafted in the top 10 in 2023. And that's what Bijan Robinson did. That's who they lose. Another reason this is so important is because Quinn yours is much more successful in play action situations than he is in non play action situations. That was a trend last year. And that trend continued in week one against rice in non play action situations. Yours was just 53% for 3.9 yards per attempt. And he was much better in play-action situations. 69% completion percentage, 12.6 yards per attempt per pro football focus. All three of those touchdowns also came in play-action. So in order for Quinn Ewers to be successful, for him to reach his full potential one of two things has to happen. He either needs to get way better when there's not a threat of running the football or Texas has to be really successful at running the football so they can use that play action effectively. Can Jonathan Brooks, Jaden Blue, and CJ Baxter adequately replace Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson? I don't know. That's one of the big questions I have about this Texas team. And one of the big things, one of the big matchups we're going we're gonna to have to take a look at in this game. Can they effectively run the ball so they can set up the play action? Because right now it seems like Quinn Yours has to have that play action game to be successful. And Yours was not rated highly per PFF in week one. He was the number 89 quarterback among all FBS quarterbacks that had at least 10 dropbacks. A 66.1 grade. Not very good in my book. He was tied with Keaton Slovis and just behind Donovan Smith, Texas Tech's quarterback, who lost at Wyoming over the weekend. I'm concerned about Quinn Yours, guys. He's got to show it to me. There's this assumption that he's just going to go out there and be great because of his high school ranking. Because we've seen some of those big-time throws he made last year. He made some big plays down the field last year. Impressive throws. Impressive plays. But he wasn't consistent. And I just don't quite understand still this assumption that he is going to go out there and be consistent and improve so drastically. And I don't think we saw it in week one. And it really concerns me. The one thing I will say for yours, he had no turnover-worthy plays per PFF in week one. And that that's a, a big improvement because turnovers were a problem for him. But everything we saw from Quinn Ewers in week one, it didn't change my mind. It didn't make me think he's a Heisman contender. And between the way Ewers played and the way the offensive line played, I think that's going to be a big problem for Texas, Texas going into Tuscaloosa on Saturday. And then you go to the Alabama offense and we heard nothing but question after question after question all season long. Who is the quarterback going to be? I don't know. Is Jay, can Jalen Milrow really be the quarterback? They brought in Ty Buckner. Are they really, 
are they really comfortable with the quarterbacks if they're bringing in Ty Buckner? That's all we heard all offseason long. And then what does Jalen Milrow go out and do in week one against Middle Tennessee State? And again, granted, it's Middle Tennessee State. He was excellent. He was number five per pro football focus among those that same group of FBS quarterbacks with at least 10 dropbacks. Number five overall. No turnover-worthy plays in that game. He had three big-time throws, and he was number 16 among that group of quarterbacks in average depth of target. He was throwing the ball down the field, and he looked really good doing so. PFF also rated Milrow as the best running quarterback in week one. He was a huge part of the run game. He had two touchdowns, seven carries for 48 yards in that game, and that 48-yard total does take into account the two times he was sacked. Jalen Milrow, my apologies, Jalen Milrow was excellent in that game after he was just questioned and questioned and questioned all season long. Alabama also rushed for 200 yards as a team, and that's kind of what you expect out of a a Tommy Reese offense, right? I mean, it's not truly ever going to be a Tommy Reese offense or any offensive coordinator's offense who comes into Alabama because it's it's Nick Saban has what he likes to do. He's developed it over years and you kind of come in there and you can make some tweaks and changes, but it's kind of the Alabama system at this point. But Alabama's offense was really good. Every time they crossed the middle Tennessee state 40 yard line, they scored a touchdown in that game. They converted once they, once they crossed that threshold. Now, one of the things we're going to have to watch in this game, one of the questions I've had about Alabama is how good are their wide receivers? I mentioned Dane Brugler's big board. I think he's one of the best when it comes to NFL draft prospects and evaluating prospects. Only Jermaine Burton is listed among Brugler's top 25 senior wide receivers and no other Alabama receiver is listed among the draft-eligible on his draft-eligible underclassmen list. The talent at wide receiver isn't quite where it's been, you know, over the last five years. When you have guys like Devontae Smith, when you have guys like Jerry Judy, and this is part of why I said I really like LSU to potentially beat them, because I don't think that, LSU's weakness, which we saw against Florida State, is that secondary. And I I was questioning, I still am questioning, whether Alabama can take advantage of that LSU secondary with their wide receivers. So that'll be, you know, if there's a con to Alabama here, that's one of the cons. They also have a few defensive backs banged up, but Malachi Moore and Jalen Key did return to practice. We'll see if they're 100% good to go for that Texas game. But all in all, when you put together my questions about Texas's offense, the way the O-line and yours struggled, especially in the first half of that Rice game, and then you take how good Jalen Milrow looked, I really like Alabama in this game. I really like Alabama here. I think they are the better team. They're playing at home. I truly, and you guys might think I'm crazy here, I truly think they have the better quarterback. At least as far as 
winning this college football game is concerned. If you want to tell me Quinn yours is the better pro prospect that he's going to get drafted in the top 20, whatever, that's fine. But if you were asking me which quarterback would I rather have to go out and win this game on Saturday night in Tuscaloosa, I'm taking Jalen Milrow. He looked great in week one. We know he can make plays with his legs. We saw that last year. We saw him break off a big run against Arkansas. We know he has that skill set. And that's a critical skill set to have, especially if the play breaks down. And based on how Texas's defensive line and their defense performed in game one, we might be seeing the play break down. So give me Alabama. Give me Alabama minus six and a half. Give me Alabama up to minus seven. And give me the under... 54 and a half. I see this one as like a 28-17, 31-20 Alabama win. That's how I see this one. That's how I'm betting this one. I trust Jalen Milrow. I trust the Alabama defense. I trust those two aspects of this game more than I trust Quinn Yours and that Texas offense. I also love having the home field advantage. Give me Alabama minus six and a half. Give me Alabama up to minus seven and give me under 54 and a half. All right, it's time to go through what I'm watching, what I'm betting. It's time to spray the board. Let's go, everybody. Week two's here. And look, week one, not going to lie, everybody, wasn't that good. I didn't have a, a good week. I didn't have a good time. I didn't win a bet between 3.30 p.m. Eastern time Saturday until Monday night when I hit on my Florida State pick. I did not hit a single bet, and I don't like that at all. So what I do, I went back in the lab, I watched the film, and I got better. I'm here to get back on track for week two. Last week, I was 4-8 and eight on my picks, 0-1 oh on my Moneyline Parlay of the Week, minus 5.3 units. But you know what? It's a good reminder why when you say one unit, you mean one unit. One unit should be one unit. I'm not a big fan of hammer plays, whale plays, monster plays, plays of the year where people will say, I'm betting 5, 10, 15, 20 units on this game. No, I do... I tell you the amount of units I do every time. I do one unit on every one of these picks. I do a half unit on my money line parlay of the week. And you know what? You're going to have bad weeks sometimes. It helps limit those bad weeks. For the season, 7-9, and 0-1 oh on the money line parlay of the week, minus 3.85 units. But it's time to get back on track. Let's go. And let's start with Saturday. Good game Friday night, Illinois at Kansas. Looking forward to it. I think anytime you can watch that Kansas offense, it's worth the price of admission. But let's get right to Saturday here. And let's start with the noon slot. And we got a couple big games in that noon slot. Kicking off the day, right? Notre Dame goes to Raleigh to take on NC State. Notre Dame is a seven to seven and a half point favorite right now, depending where you look. I think it's, uh, let's just check and make sure here. Make sure there haven't been any changes recently. Yeah, mostly seven and a half everywhere except FanDuel. So, um, you know, if you like one of these sides, make sure you're shopping, bet accordingly. But this is a game I'm staying away from. I am very excited to watch it, though. The big question here for me is can NC State stop the run? They didn't stop the run very effectively against UConn. 
And that's concerning when you're going up against a Notre Dame team that always has a good offensive line and has a great running back in Audric Estime. Now, NC State is a different caliber of competition than Notre Dame has faced so far. Navy doesn't look to be very good. Tennessee State is an FCS team. And NC State is a team that has aspirations in the ACC. But for NC State to win this game, they've got to do a couple things. They have to get better at stopping the run. And they will have Savion Jackson back, one of their defensive linemen who is out against UConn. That should be a big bonus for them. But they've got to get better at stopping the run. They also have to hit some explosive plays. They can't rely on Brennan Armstrong, the quarterback, to be their only running game. And for those two reasons, based on what I saw in the UConn game, the inability to stop the run and their lack of big plays, it seemed like their receivers were really having trouble creating separation, getting open. I I can't back NC State here. Typically, I love a home dog against a big-name opponent. NC NC State seems to rise to the occasion. I was hoping, thinking, I might get this one at like plus 10.5. If I could get 10.5, I would have taken it. But at this number, seven, seven and a half, I can't play it. If it were to drop under seven, if I could get a six and a half, I'd go with Notre Dame here. But I'm not playing it at seven. I'm not playing it at seven and a half. And I can't play NC State there either. Excited to watch this one. No bet. And this will be Notre Dame's first real test of the season. Another big time matchup at the noon slot. Utah and Baylor. Utah traveling to Waco, Baylor coming off a devastating loss to Texas State, and quarterback Blake Shapin is out, will not play in this game. It looks like Cam Rising could be back and playing for Utah. This is another game where there's just so many question marks. This almost feels like a week one game as we have all these question marks. And it's Baylor plus seven and a half basically everywhere. You can get a plus eight at Caesars. Not a big difference between those two numbers there. And it's another one where before the season, I had circled this on the calendar. I wanted to play Baylor. I wanted to play Baylor here with Utah coming off a huge game against Florida to open the season. I I said it, I think, on the Pac-12 preview show. I wish I could bet on Utah to beat Florida, but then lose to Baylor. I wish I could have parlayed that somehow before the season. Because Utah is a different team on the road. They just are. And Utah, honestly, they got the win against Florida, but that game felt a lot more like Florida making self-inflicted mistakes than it did Utah really stepping up, punching them in the mouth, and establishing their dominance. I felt like that game was more about Florida than it was about Utah. But Baylor, against Texas State, they looked really bad. Texas State was a 27.5-point dog. I bet Baylor minus 27.5. Texas State has a new head coach in G.J. Kinney. They run a super-fast tempo offense I didn't think they were quite quite ready to run it yet I didn't think he had the personnel they took a ton of transfers similar to what Colorado did and game one they were ready to go just like Colorado without Blake Shapin the way Baylor was just dominated 
in week one. I mean, I did not expect that from Baylor's lines. For Baylor's lines to just get dominated the way they did from by Texas State, I just can't. I can't play it. Baylor only had a 25% success rate on rushing plays. Really bad. Their offensive line, their front seven offensive havoc rate was 16%, among the worst in the country. Texas State's defensive line got after Baylor. That's a bad recipe against Utah, but I don't like Utah going on the road here. Again, this is a no play for me. If you don't feel good about the number, you just can't play it. And so I'm going to pass. Okay, enough of talking about games that I don't have action on. Let's get some action. Our first bet of the day, noon on Saturday. And I'm going back to the well with two teams that I bet on already. Nebraska at Colorado. So Nebraska, I won the Nebraska plus seven and a half bet against Minnesota. And then Colorado, I lost big time on TCU minus 20 and a half. The way I'm playing this game is I'm going under 59 and a half. Colorado is like a two and a half point favorite, three point favorite in this game. Three and a half now it looks like has popped up some places, but I'm going under 59 and a half in this game. Make no mistake about it, Colorado showed up and looked great against TCU. But TCU was willing to engage them in the kind of game where they would go up and down the field with them. TCU's big issue last year was all the explosive plays they gave up defensively. Now, it's always been an issue for them. And Colorado exploited that. But TCU was also willing to play the kind of style and the kind of place that Colorado wanted to play. Nebraska's not going to do that with Matt Rule. They're going to slow this thing down. And I think it's easier to dictate the pace and tempo of the game when you're trying to play slow when you're trying then when you're trying to play fast. We saw it with what Indiana did to Ohio State last week. Indiana slowed that thing down big time. And I think the new clock rules play to the advantage of a team who's trying to slow the game down. Nebraska had 37 rushes to 19 pass attempts last week. And I just don't think they're going to give in to the pace. They're going to do that again. They're going to run the ball. And in Colorado needs to show that they can run the ball and stop the run. That's two things we didn't necessarily see last week from Colorado. And Nebraska held Minnesota to 2.2 yards per carry. What does scare me, if I'm betting this under, which I have, I've already bet this under, is does does Travis Hunter take one to the house, get a pick six on a bad Jeff Sims pass? I'm scared about Jeff Sims turning the ball over. So I don't like Nebraska plus three, plus three and a half, but I do really like Nebraska to control the pace a little bit more and not give in to that Colorado pace of play the way TCU did, because that's what TCU wants to do also. I think you're going to have a conflict in pace here. I think it's easier to slow the game down than speed it up. And when you're giving me a number right around 60 at 59 and a half, I'm going to go under there. I wouldn't, for the life of me, bet against Colorado right now in this game. I thought they were super impressive last week, but, you know, 
in gambling, you got to look for opportunities where people are overreacting. And I think everybody thinks at this moment that every Colorado game is going to be just like that TCU one where both teams are just running up and down the field like crazy. And it's going to be big play after big play after big play. And I think Nebraska is going to try to limit the big plays on both sides, burn some clock and slow this thing down. So give me under 59 and a half in Dion's second game. I'm also going to bet this Purdue at Virginia Tech game. One of the things I've been thinking about in week two is trying to figure out which teams have really changed and which teams haven't. And I feel like Virginia Tech is a team that has truly changed. So give me Virginia Tech minus three against Purdue. The biggest thing that I saw from Virginia Tech in week one is that they added a lot of talent at wide receiver. They added Ollie Jennings and Jalen Lane, and they did exactly what they brought them in to do. Ollie Jennings, five catches, 72 yards, two touchdowns, had a 44-yard reception in that game. Jalen Lane also had a 34-yard reception in that game. They spread this thing out. Let's see. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players catch a pass in that game. They had four different players with a reception of at least 20 yards or more. They have surrounded Grant Wells with some weapons now. And Grant Wells, for his part, looked a lot better than he did at any point last season. 17 of 29, 251 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. And Virginia Tech gets revenge on a team that beat them last year, 36-17. I think this Virginia Tech offense is truly different. And I think for... Purdue's part, their defense is still not great. Purdue's front seven havoc rate was among the worst in the country in their loss to Fresno. And they allowed a 58% success rate on passing plays. Fresno punted on three of four drives in the first quarter. And then over the next eight, they had four touchdowns, a field goal, a missed field goal attempt, one interception, and one punt. So essentially, two stops, really, over the next eight, and a missed field goal. I'll be generous. I'll count that as a stop. So over 50% of the time, they scored. Not good. I think Virginia Tech, especially at home, is the play in this game. I think they just, the weapons are better, and I think Purdue is still trying to figure things out under a new head coach there. Let's move on to the 3.30 time slot. I'll run through these games a little quicker because I don't have any plays in them. But the one I want to talk about for sure is Texas A&M at Miami. And I view these teams as kind of twin programs here. Texas A&M, I mean, we know what they've been trying to accomplish under Jimbo Fisher. They've made the investment in football. I talk about want to a lot. I talked about the want-to of SMU going to the ACC and not taking any TV money for nearly a decade. Texas A&M has that want-to. They want to be national championship caliber, and they haven't quite got there. Miami, same way. They're investing a ton. The investment hasn't always been there at Miami, but they're investing a ton. They go out and get Mario Cristobal. Year one didn't go the way that they wanted it to. 
But both these teams, when you talk about, okay, who has really changed? It seems like both of these teams may have really changed because Tyler Van Dyke went out last week with Miami and they looked really good. Connor Wiegman, all everything quarterback, everybody talked about coming out of high school. Now, I think he's in his sophomore year. I think Wiegman is a sophomore. He looked really good in week one. He was the sixth rated quarterback by PFF last week. And while we're talking about Wegman, I really, I, I like the pronunciation. I wish it was Wegman. Because Wegmans, if you're not familiar, a great grocery store. We don't even really have them that much in Maryland. It's like an upstate New York grocery chain. But it's a great, great store. So I've nicknamed Connor Wegman the deli clerk. He's slicing up those defenses. What do you think? I don't know. I kind of like it. If he plays well, it works. If he doesn't, Got Demodem, stock stock room guy, the stock guy, the stock boy, something like that. But the deli clerk, Connor Wiegman, looked really good in Week One, and with this Bobby Petrino offense, I think they could be way better. I really do. Bobby Petrino, he scores points everywhere that he goes, and I don't know why this would be any different with all the talent around them. And Miami, Shannon Dawson, new offensive coordinator, comes in. He has an air raid background. All you've heard all summer long is him and Van Dyke are on the same page. Van Dyke feels more confident and comfortable in this offense. Seems like it could be a real lasting change. And this is what I love about college football. I love that it's this big puzzle. We get to figure out as the season goes along. Is Texas A&M really different? Or the same old Texas A&M? What's Jimbo Fisher going to do? Is he really going to let them go for it? Or does he still have his thumb on the scale a little bit? And is he going to step in and, and kind of have his way? And not really let things change? This is a great one. Texas A&M is a four and a half point favorite going to Coral Gables right now. And this is probably after the the Texas-Alabama game, the game second game I'm most excited to watch because I think we're going to learn a lot about both these programs, about these teams, and what they can be. So I'm not necessarily betting this one straight up, although I do have this one as part of my Moneyline Parlay. I'll keep that a secret until a little later. You have to see which way I go in this Moneyline Parlay. But I think this is going to tell us a lot about both these teams. And even though we're not betting this as a straight wager today, it's going to definitely inform how I think about these teams and how I play them as the season progresses. Another big game at this time slot, Ole Miss at Tulane. Tulane really took it to South Alabama last week. They were super impressive. And I'm excited to see Ole Miss go down to New Orleans and see what they can do there. That'll be one I'm watching for sure at that time slot moving on to the night six eastern time smu goes to norman to take on the oklahoma sooners and i am playing the over 68 and a half in this game last week both of these teams were top 15 and plays run smu had big plays galore a 67 yard touchdown pass and they gave up big plays including a 53 yard touchdown pass This game reminds me a lot of when SMU and TCU got together last season. I think it was week four, maybe. 
and they combined for 76 points. Last year, in SMU's 12 regular season games, either SMU or their opponent scored 40 or more points in nine of those 12 regular season games. SMU scores, SMU gets scored on, and Oklahoma is very much the same way. They probably had the biggest beatdown of the week last week, 73 to nothing against Arkansas State. But Arkansas State actually did have a few big plays in there at times. I'm not sure Oklahoma's defense is 100% where they want it to be quite yet. But Dylan Gabriel looked really good. That offense looked really good. I expect this one to be a big-time shootout. This is one of those games where it's just anything under 70, I'm playing. And I saw I could get this one at 68 and a half. Under that 69 number, that key number, I said, got to do it. Give me OUSMU over 68 and a half. This one to just sit back and watch the fireworks. Another game I'm betting, maybe a little bit off the radar at six Eastern time, is FAU laying five against Ohio. Now, why I like this one, I really like Casey Thompson, quarterback at FAU, transfer from Nebraska by way of, or from Nebraska, previously was at Texas. Tom Herman, now the head coach at FAU. And they take on an Ohio team that has struggled the first couple of weeks in the season. They were without uh, their starting quarterback, Curtis Rourke, who got injured against San Diego State. Now, I saw a tweet today that it seems like he is progressing to play in this game. So the line is dropping a little bit here. Uh, I now see it at minus three and a half. You might want to wait this fire. If I were you, I'm already in at minus five. I didn't think work was going to play, but if I were you, I would wait to see if you can get it at three or less and then jump on Florida Atlantic. I, I still think Florida Atlantic is the better team here, whether they have Rourke or not. Rourke is a guy who's injured last year. He gets hurt again in the first game against San Diego State. I, I just question how healthy he actually is. But with that line dropping, I would wait it out and see if you can get it at three or minus, uh, minus three, minus two and a half for Florida Atlantic. I'm in at minus five and I'm going to roll with it. So, but if I were you, I'd wait, see if you can get it uh, to drop a little bit there. On to primetime, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We covered Texas and Alabama, but I will repeat it one more time. I am going with the tide, minus six and a half. I'd play it up to seven, and I'm going under 54 and a half on the team total. I think this is a 28-17, 31-20 Alabama victory on a Saturday night in Tuscaloosa. That atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. Can't wait for it. Oregon goes to Texas Tech. This is the third game of the day where I desperately wanted to take the home dog that's getting around a touchdown. And Texas Tech, they they go out to Wyoming. They go out to Laramie. Tough place to play, Laramie, Wyoming. And they get up early. They end up losing in double overtime. And you look at some of the, the win expectancy numbers following that game. And it doesn't look quite as bad for Texas Tech. Got to bring up some of the numbers in front of me here. But essentially, Texas Tech, according to the stats, if you play that game over and over and over again, 
Texas Tech wins that game more times than they lose that game. But nevertheless, they they do lose the ball game. They do lose the ball game. Texas Tech, if you played this game again, based with these exact same stats, if you play it 100 times, Texas Tech is expected to win this game 82% of the time. Wyoming would only win it 17.6% of the time. Texas Tech, 82.4. Wyoming, 17.6% of the time. So 80% of the time, Texas Tech wins that game with those exact same stats. So it's, a, it's tough for Texas Tech. That makes me want to take them. It makes me want to take them to bounce back. They bounced back a lot last year, Texas Tech did. Texas Tech, they they lost a bunch of games last season, but they consistently bounced back and won big games, even after, even after taking losses. They lose on the road to NC State in week three last year. They bounce back. They beat Texas at home in overtime. They lose back-to-back games to Kansas State and Oklahoma State on the road. They bounce back and beat West Virginia, throttle West Virginia, 48-10. to 10. They lose back-to-back games to Baylor and TCU. The Baylor game, not even particularly close. They bounce back, and they go on a three-game run where they beat Kansas, Iowa State, Oklahoma, and then they win the bowl game. They lost five games last year, and they kept bouncing back. So I really like it from that perspective. I think it's tough for these West Coast teams going on the road. Oregon looked great against Portland State. Don't get me wrong. 81 points, nobody's going to complain about that. But I just think it's a different level of competition. But at less than a touchdown, at Texas Tech only getting six and a half, I can't play it. I can't do it. And I don't trust Oregon enough on the road to play them either. So this is for the third time, a game I kind of had circled that I wanted to play. Can't do it. Can't do it, unfortunately. A game I am betting at the 7 Eastern time slot is Memphis. Going on the road to Arkansas State. And I'm playing Memphis minus 21. I got that at Bet Rivers at Arkansas State. And Arkansas State, they just looked so bad last week against Oklahoma. I think Memphis has a super explosive offense. You guys know how I feel about Memphis. I, I like them. At 8-1, to one, I got it for them to win the AAC this season. They're going on the road. That is a little bit scary. But Arkansas State loses 71 nothing last week at Oklahoma. They didn't look like they had any ability to stop the Oklahoma Sooners. And Memphis is an explosive offense. This program right now, this Arkansas State program right now, under Butch Jones, doesn't look great. They won three games last year against Grambling, UL Monroe, and UMass. That's kind of the level that this Arkansas State program, a very proud program, a program that invests in football, a program that has had very good coaches come through there, that's kind of where they're at at the moment. 
And yeah, it's a it's a home game. It's a regional rivalry. But the way that Arkansas pro or that Arkansas State program is right now, I don't trust them. I don't trust them at all. And they are, I mean, they they were one of the teams that took a monster fall in SP plus. They're at their raw SP plus rating, it dropped nine points. Nine points. It's not good in Arkansas State right now. They're rated in SP plus as the 131st team out of 133. They have the 131st defense and the 118th ranked offense. Last year, Memphis put up 44 on them. It was 44-32. They scored a little bit too. But I like Memphis to put up a big number here. I like Memphis to cover minus 20 and a half on the road at Arkansas State for a program that's just not in a good way right now. Moving on to the rest of the night, 7.30 Eastern. One of the games I am so intrigued to watch, Wisconsin at Washington State. The Badgers go to the Palouse. And on Sunday night, I gave this out at Washington State plus four and a half. Well, look, sometimes I I bet Sundays so I can get value, so I can get closing line value. I got the opposite of closing line value on this one. It's now Washington State plus seven. And I already have it at four and a half. I got it again at plus seven because if I can get a touchdown, I am. I like Washington State to win this game outright. They brought in new offensive coordinator, Arbuckle, one of the youngest offensive coordinators, one of the youngest coordinators in all of college football. He comes in from Western Kentucky. He's got that air raid thing going he, you know, they throw the ball around a ton and it looks so far like a very good fit for Cam Ward and Washington State. And I was impressed with that Washington State offense in week one and, and what they were able to do. And Wisconsin, for their part, I didn't think looked outstanding in, in week one. I, I thought they kind of looked a lot like the same old Wisconsin where, you know, they relied on the running game. They relied on their running game. Tanner Mordecai had some turnovers. Uh, I just wasn't overall very impressed with what Wisconsin had to offer in that game. And I feel like going to Washington state, it's hard. It's hard for teams in the pac 12 to go to Washington state. And for Wisconsin to go out there, there's a team that beat them last season. I get it. Completely different staff. Uh, A lot has changed at Wisconsin, but it's a really tough place to go out and play. I like what Washington State has done offensively there. The Wisconsin defense did not really get after it against Buffalo. They had one of the worst defensive havoc rates in the country, just a 7% havoc rate in that game. Uh, I, I think I think Washington State and Cam Ward are going to throw the ball around. I think Washington State is going to be able to stop the run much more effectively than Buffalo did. I know it was just Colorado State, but Washington State held Colorado State to just 1.9 
yards per carry on 20 rushing attempts. Now, and that's just one sack included in that. They had three tackles for loss in that game. And then in the secondary, they had nine passes defended. I think Washington State is just going to be the better team here. I think Cam Ward is a great fit in this offense. He can He's thrown it around 450 yards last week, uh, nine yards per attempt. He made some plays with his legs. It's a tough place to go play. Give me Washington State at plus four and a half since I already have it, and then give me Washington State at plus seven. Finish things out here with my last bet of the day, and then we'll get to the money line parlay. 8.30 Eastern time, Southern Miss goes to Tallahassee, take on Florida State, the team that many, myself included, believe should be ranked number one in the country this week. They had the best win out of anybody. I would have them as my number one team in the country. And I don't think it's that big of a deal to change who's number one. If they're number one this week and then they lose, okay, then they're not number one. If they're number one this week and then, you know, Michigan goes and beats Penn State eight weeks from now, Make Michigan number one. That's fine. I don't think we have to be so stuck in who is number one and you can't move them down unless they lose and blah, blah, blah. Florida State was the most impressive team in week one. I'd have them number one. But they are coming home now and they are playing Southern Miss. And they are a 31-point favorite in this game. And I do not know how Florida State comes back and doesn't have a little bit of a letdown in the first half. So I am taking Southern Miss plus 17 and a half in the first half. Southern Miss has a good defense. They have Frank Gore Jr. at running back. I think much like my strategy here in this Nebraska-Colorado game, I think Southern Miss is going to try to slow things down a little bit. They're going to try to get it running on, going on the ground, take some air out of the ball, run some clock. And I think the new rules really help teams who want to do that. So I, in a letdown spot here, I'm sure Florida State will eventually cruise in the end. But I think in the first half, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle where... You just don't have that same energy and emotion because you're not playing LSU. You're playing Southern Miss. Give me Southern Miss plus 17 and a half to end my slate this week. And then we will wrap things up with my money line parlay of the week. And I'm going to start this one on a Friday night. My first leg is Illinois plus 130 going on the road to take on the Kansas Jayhawks. I love that Kansas offense, but I hate their defense. Jalen Daniels is back quarterback for them this week. The preseason big 12 player of the year. I just do not trust that defense at all. And I think Illinois with Luke Altmeyer at quarterback may actually be better than they were last year offensively when they had Tommy DeVito. They won a nail biter against Toledo, but you look at the post game win expectancy there and they were at uh, 82% to win that game. So really they, they performed just fine against a Toledo team that uh, is solid for sure. I, do, I just think that that Kansas defense is going to be really bad. So on a Friday night, let's start it off with Illinois plus 130. Then we move to the afternoon slate, and I will take that Miami team plus 168 at home against Texas A&M. I like the Tyler Van Dyke-Shannon-Dawson combination. I, I don't necessarily trust it to go at, pl at plus four and a half, but I... When you're taking a shot on these money line parlays, right? You're not going to get a team that you absolutely love every time. You got to got to find something that you could see happening. And I could see Tyler Van Dyke 
having a day against Texas A&M, lighting them up. The defense looked really good in week one. I can see them getting after it. Maybe A&M isn't, hasn't changed quite as much as we think. Maybe Miami has, and I'm just looking for that, that possibility there. So give me the Hurricanes plus 168, and then we'll finish it out. Should be no surprise. The team I love, Washington State, plus 202 at home against Wisconsin. I said you're not always going to get a team you love. This is a team I love. This is a game I love. I love Washington State. I love quarterback Cam Ward, what him and Ben Arbuckle are doing together. I, when you talk about a team that I think has fundamentally changed, I think they have fundamentally changed. I think they'll be able to stop the run. I have questions about Wisconsin and what they can do defensively to get after Washington State. So give me Washington State. Give me the Cougars at plus 202. That is a plus 1762 money line parlay. So about just over 17 and a half to one odds there. I'm doing a half unit on that as always. And hopefully we'll be celebrating that come Sunday afternoon. That's our show for today. I can't wait for another week of college football. Enjoy the games this week, everybody. And until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.